What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. As always, you can find us on any podcast app that you prefer, though I would love it if you checked out the Himalaya podcast app with all of their perfectly curated playlists based on your interests, or you can even make your own playlists and share it with your friends. It's free, it's easy to use. Go check it out and subscribe to Locked on Vikings while you're there. And if you don't like podcast apps at all, that's fine. Or if you listen to your car and and you don't want to be looking at your phone, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. And today we can finally return to our regularly scheduled 90-man series where we go through every man on the 90-man roster, talk about their background, where they came from, and what they have to gain or lose in the preseason. Not necessarily what's going on for them on the field or their chances of making the team or what kind of season they should have, but more about who they are and why it matters what happens in the fourth quarter of a preseason game. And speaking of the fourth quarter of preseason games, let's talk about another undrafted free agent rookie, the guys that tend to populate those moments. Let's talk about John Kenoy. He's a center out of Western Michigan. Uh, the last Western Michigan lineman that graced the Vikings was one Willie Beavers, who was a former teammate of Kenoy's. Uh, this guy wasn't drafted, though. He is an undrafted free agent. So I actually want to take you back to like fifth or sixth grade when John Kenoy is way over the late the, the weight limit for his elementary school program. He's too big of a kid to play football. He would just crush all the other kids and they have a weight limit to make sure that things are, are you know, fair and everybody can, can participate because it's elementary school and it's not that big a deal. So he can't play football and he wants to play football. Luckily, he has a friend in another school, a smaller Christian school with different rules, named John Wassenick. And Wassenick is the quarterback over there. They need a center. They don't have any weight limit. And they're like, yeah, bring the giant kid over here and let's play some sixth grade football. So they play one year together and they become like really, really tight, close friends. And they're like this dynamic duo, center and quarterback. But they only play the one year together. At that point, John Kenoy graduates to middle school where the weight limit, like there are other big kids, so he's back under the weight limit. And John Wassenick stays at in, in his like Christian school district, and they largely go their separate ways, though they remain very close friends throughout this whole time and in high school. So both of them go to their respective high schools, and they like dominate. Uh, Wassenick leads Grand Rapids South Christian to a couple of D4 state championships. Kenoy becomes uh, a member of his own like all-star team and gets all kinds of accolades, and they both end up getting recruited to, of all places, Western Michigan University, being the best of friends that they are, uh, they both accept the offers to Western Michigan and decide to start their careers there. And John Kenoy is a little bit more of a, a prodigy, and plus it's a little bit easier to get on the field as an offensive lineman than as a quarterback. Western Michigan had their quarterback at the time. So John Kenoy gets on the field uh, one year earlier than Wassenick does, which is fine. Now, debuts can be kind of funny in these, like, smaller schools like uh, Western Michigan because they usually will accept giant paydays so that some big Power 5 team can come beat the ever-loving tar out of them. In this particular season, when John Wassenick is getting ready to make his debut for Western Michigan, they are going to go play the USC Trojans, led by, like, Sam Darnold and this, like, really good team. For John Kenoy, it was Michigan State, who he grew up watching. And for Kenoy, he's playing on a line alongside, like, a whole bunch of players that 
end up making it into the NFL, or at least getting a shot at the NFL. He starts off in his freshman year. He's playing right next to Willie Beavers. Obviously, it didn't work out in the NFL, but good enough to at least get consideration. There's Chukwuma Okorafor over there. There's Taylor Moten. Like, there's all kinds of players that are in the NFL now, or at least still getting chances in the NFL now, in, in Beavers' case. And, and Kenoy fits right in and ends up being a linchpin, because as time goes on and all of those players leave, John Kenoy ends up kind of being the stable force in a fairly tumultuous next couple years that that Western Michigan is going to have. But anyways, back to this debut game, Wasanick does okay, and John Kenoy snapping the ball to him, they actually managed to keep pace, and, and with, like, the mighty... Southern California Trojans. They actually keep pace all the way until the fourth quarter. The Trojans end up winning by a bunch of scores. The fourth quarter kind of gets away from them. But all in all, it's an admirable start. Now, later in that season, John Wasanick will get injured, and it means that John Kenoy is now going to have to be uh, snapping to a totally different person, not the friend that he grew up with, and the dream of them kind of playing together and, like, achieving greatness kind of dies. And the season wasn't going all that well anyways. 2018 ramps up, and that's going to be the last season that Kenoy is in college, and once again, his quarterback and his friend gets hurt. He doesn't eventually get the to, to realize the dream. After all that waiting through high school, through a couple of years before uh, Wassenich gets on the field, John Kenoy doesn't end up getting to play a full season with his friend. And you might be wondering, like, hey, like this is supposed to be about John Kenoy, but most of the story was about the quarterback that he snapped to, and that is kind of his thing. There is a... Uh, a, a really good article, a link in the show notes as always, um, about Kinoy and how he kind of likes to stay in the out of the limelight, how he doesn't want to be the center of attention, even though he's now like getting Remington Award uh, consideration and the team now anchored by the player that was once the newbie. But, you know, there's no Taylor Moten anymore and there's no Okafor anymore. And there's no Beavers anymore, and the quarterback's been hurt two years in a row. And, and you know, John Kenoy becomes kind of the, the center and the, the, the rock of this franchise. And he talks about how, like, offensive linemen like to stay out of the limelight and how they don't, you know, they like, they take pride in the dirty work, so to speak. Uh, but at any rate, the team does pretty well, and Kenoy ends up in the Potato Bowl against BYU, and this is kind of the culmination of his whole college career, and they get waxed, 49 to 18, they get absolutely destroyed, and that's how his college career ends. So it's just like one disappointment after another for Kenoy once he gets into college, but at least he did get to play 17 games with his pal. So, you know, too small of a school to get drafted, but he ends up uh, trying out for the Vikings, and now he gets to come in for the, the 90, I shouldn't say trying out, he was an undrafted free agent, he got a contract, uh, he wasn't a rookie tryout, but he, he ends up uh, coming in, and he'll he'll try to make the 53-man roster. And that is going to be an uphill battle. If you pencil in Drew Samia and Rashad Hill as, as rostered, uh, which I think is probably safe to do, he, then Kinoya would have to rank second, at least second among this group. Aviant Collins, Oli Udo, Dakota Dozier, Cornelius Edison, Danny Isadora, and Brett Jones. He needs to be at least second among that group. And as an undrafted free agent, that's going to be really difficult. There's some players in there who have started games and players who have been in the league for quite a while. For Kinoy, just like, you know, any undrafted free agent, it's all going to be about... The, the the practice squad and just or just trying to put out enough good tapes so that if you don't make the Vikings another team may come a call in that has a little bit less of a glut but pretty much every team is going to have a glut at every position on a 90-man roster and you're the undrafted free agent you're at the bottom of the totem pole so for John Kinoy it's about rising up at this point it's it's about you know showing enough good play against third teamers that you can maybe try to work your way up the roster kind of like what we were talking about yesterday with what Hercules Mata'afa is doing he has to follow that in his footsteps 
ultimately practice squad would be a huge win. It would essentially mean that he's beating out Cornelius Edison for that kind of like reserve center spot. And if there is any one position, any one like roster role for Kinoy to target, it would be that one. So I am going to step away, and when I come back, we will talk about Eric Wilson. I'll see you all in a second. All right, moving on. Let's talk about Eric Wilson, the linebacker, originally out of Cincinnati, but he started in Northwestern. We'll get to that in a second, and he's been a pretty good backup depth piece for the Vikings since going undrafted in, I think it was 2017. So in recruitment, uh, Eric Wilson is a safety prospect, and he ends up getting recruited by Northwestern and amongst, like, Army and some other kind of, like, similar tier schools, you know, not the, like, major powerhouses of the conference, but respectable programs, absolutely. And so he redshirts there his first year. They want to move him to linebacker, so he has to put on a bunch of weight. And the culture, this is what he says, he says that the culture is, like, not making him happy. And maybe part of this, too, is that it's, like, it's difficult. A A lot of these stories, you've heard it a bunch of times if you've been listening to this show. A lot of these stories, you know, going from high school and being the star, but it's also just kind of an after-school activity and you still have your life. And, and when you get to college and you're a student athlete, you don't have much of a life. I mean, it is, it is grinding every single day. You can barely get your classwork done. And so one year after going through that whole recruitment process and then like doing a redshirt freshman year, Eric Wilson decides to transfer. But as you've probably are familiar with, uh, the transfer rules are not that easy. You can't just go change teams on a whim because you wanted to change schools. You usually have to sit out a year. Now, there's a few, like, graduate transfer exceptions and, like, some other stuff that can allow a player to go from one school to another, kind of like what Jeff Baddett did, but in this case, Eric Wilson has to sit out a year, so he has to do another redshirt year, but as he kind of declares, all right, I'm going to transfer, and and, hey, uh, colleges, I don't want to be at Northwestern anymore. Who wants me? Now he gets kind of recruited again. One of those teams is Cincinnati and he meets the coach and they hit it off right away and he tours the campus and he meets players and he kind of feels that like the the culture there is going to make him happier. And and this is one of those decisions. I mean any time a player changes schools and we've had a whole bunch as we go as we've gone through this series, there, there's usually a chief reason. You know, Rock Thomas wanted more reps. Uh Brandon Dillon wanted to be closer to home. Craig James wanted to be with his family, and sometimes it's just, I wasn't happy there, and and I thought I'd be happier somewhere else. So off to Cincinnati he goes, uh, where he turns out to be like a really, really effective player as kind of a a money backer type, but more of just like a will linebacker. He's a small player for a linebacker because, I mean, he was a safety at first, and that was kind of, I think, his like where his natural weight lends himself to play. But both his coaches at Northwestern and at Cincinnati were like, no, we want to teach you how to defend the run, and we want to make you like a coverage linebacker. And that's when he ends up being, you know, at the end of his time in Cincinnati, where he was like a really productive linebacker and good in college, but that size is just something that like NFL teams just like can't get over. We saw the same thing happen to Hercules Mata'afa, a bunch of the linemen, you know, guys that that have fallen because they're just too small to play the position, and the Vikings tend to, I mean, they've, they've grabbed quite a few of, of guys like that. Plenty of guys at appropriate sizes as well, but this is uh, something, this is a story that we've heard before. So he becomes an undrafted free agent, and in 2017, it's time for him to go, like, try to make the team. And at the time, he was facing, like, a gauntlet of competition. Edmund Robinson, a draft pick, was there. Emmanuel Lemur was there. He was drafted by another, or no, he was undrafted by the Bengals, but he, would, like, had been a starter for them. Elijah Lee was a new rookie, not to mention, like, Ben Gedeon had been drafted. So, like, there were a lot of people in that room that Eric Wilson had to climb over just to make the team. And come the end of the 2017 preseason, uh, Eric Wilson is actually, like, making it. He shows out. He has 
the the first thing he shows out on is special teams. When he when he first starts in the first preseason game of 2017, he plays really really well on special teams, and that special teams play gets him you know reps with the the second team linebackers, and with those second team linebacker reps, suddenly he and Edmund Robinson and Ben Gedeon are all like competing. And if you remember that 2017 preseason, Ben Gedeon actually kind of ran away with the, a position battle that was supposed to be between like him and Lemur and Ed Robinson. And he just like ran away with that position battle in that preseason. So it was kind of like a matter of now, okay, that's decided for who gets to be the third linebacker after Barron Kendricks. And then who gets to be the, you know, the, the next few linebackers. And you kind of thought it would be like Elijah Lee and Robinson. Cause those guys like Robinson had been with the team for a while. And Elijah Lee had been uh, drafted and, and Emmanuel Lamore was a backup. And it turned out that both Elijah Lee and Ed Robinson end up not making the team. And they both end up having to go their separate ways. And who makes the roster? It's Eric Wilson, who ends up like flying all over the field, especially in those last two preseason games. You know, when I talk about and, and like really hype up the stakes of preseason games at the end of all of the these segments and I talk about, you know, everything's riding on this and, and, and there's so much to be gained and so much to be lost. This is Eric Wilson in 2017 is like the embodiment of that, of how much there is to be gained for an undrafted free agent that just balls out in the preseason. And, and it didn't hurt that like the other linebackers that he was competing with kind of didn't rise to the occasion either. So at any rate, he ends up in 2017, he actually ends up playing a little bit of some snaps here and there uh, because of injuries. And in 2018, now it's time for him to go like try to make the team again. But because he had made the roster and he's coming in in like a more incumbent capacity, it's like a lot easier for him to make the roster. And the competition is like way less stiff in 2018. Just looking at the roster during that time, you had Barr and Kendricks, obviously you had Gideon, you had Kentrell Brothers. Uh, who was actually coming off of suspension. So there was even that that like kind of mini roster spot that a suspension creates. And then Eric Wilson and behind him, there was a bunch of undrafted free agents. There was like nobody with a real claim to the roster and kind of a, a roster spot up for grabs. And it was like Richard Cliet and Antoine Williams and guy, you know, guys that just like were not really opposing any sort of threat to Eric Wilson's roster spot. And, and and I wonder if that kind of like lack of pressure ended up being a boon to Wilson because Wilson balls out in the preseason again, so much so that now, you know, it was kind of another battle between like him and Ben Gedeon and I suppose Kendrell Brothers for like that third linebacker who comes in in the base package kind of job. And Ben Gideon still comes in in the base package, but when somebody gets hurt, when Eric Kendricks gets hurt, it's Eric Wilson, not Ben Gideon, getting, like, the entire game's worth of snaps. So so Gideon had kind of, like, gone off into the, his, like, rotational role, and now as the, like, actual understudy, the backup... Eric Wilson has like a vice grip on that role. And now we're kind of entering 2019 and we're in like pretty much the same situation. Barr and Kendricks are there. Gideon has his rotational role. Eric Wilson has like his role pretty much locked up. And for somebody that was like an undersized, undrafted free agent, somebody that the, the league had essentially written off as you are too small to play this position, he has worked and he's he's used his shifty quickness to be, uh, you know, a, a penetrating linebacker. He's actually gotten a couple of sacks in regular season games. I mean, this is a, a far cry from the kid at Northwestern that didn't know if he was going to get any reps and, and, you know, didn't know, like, like the culture. It's quite the victory for Eric Wilson to be where he is now, and now he can be afford to be pretty comfortable. So I am going to step away, and when I come back, uh, we will talk about the next player on the list. Player I've been, like, teasing all week, Trey Waynes. I will see you all in a second. Okay, welcome back. So let's talk about a starter on the team, Trey Wayne, somebody who's in a, an interesting situation, which we'll talk about 
in a second, but I want to take you back to his hometown of Kenosha, Wisconsin. And and this is about as idyllic of a, of a childhood as you could ever ask for. Uh, there's a Star Tribune article that's just incredible on this that you may have read when it came out. Uh, but it's it just describes like his life and his childhood in the town he grew up in, and, and it is just like picture perfect, sparkling clean American suburbia. And you can just kind of like envision a, a half interested Trey Wayne's, who's a, a really a quiet guy. I mean, he's not like this loud, boisterous personality that you would get elsewhere in an NFL locker room, like with Everson Griffin or his very good friend from high school, Melvin Gordon, running back for the Chargers. Uh, you know, he's he's very reserved, and he kind of, like, anytime you ask him a question, he'll give you the shortest answer he can. Not because you're, it's it's media, but just because that's kind of how he talks. And he kind of, he has, like, a reputation, too, for, like, not often being available to the media or available for, like, questions and stuff. Not in, like, a breach of contract way, though. He just is kind of somebody that, that isn't always a good interview. But I digress. So he ends up uh, playing football. And as a kid, he only plays flag football, as a lot of kids do. It's, you know, you don't have to do full tackle when these kids are like seven or eight years old. Uh, but eventually it's time to, you know, make the transition to full contact and do that. And, and his parents are very worried. And so a family friend and a football coach by the name of Scott Wells, Wells sits down with the parents and, and, and kind of eases their concerns and, and talks them into it. And so there they go. They, they let Trey Waynes play football. And throughout all of the sports that Trey and his brother Mason plays, like, his parents' presence is undeniable. His parents are there with him for everything. And that contributes to that whole, like, idyllic, you know, supportive parents, you know, going to all the after-school activities and shuttling them around and taking them on, like, classic, wholesome family vacations. The Trey Wayne story is one that is, like, just so unbelievably wholesome. It it almost feels like it's not real. It feels like something, like, like a caricature that an edgy pop-punk music video would make fun of. So Trey's parents end up sending him to a charter school instead of the public Bradford High, though he is still eligible to play sports at Bradford because the charter school is too small. And that's where all his friends are, like Melvin Gordon and his brothers there. So he ends up being able to kind of like still have like a normal social life, uh, even though he goes to like a much smaller school for his actual classes. And there is where he blossoms alongside his friend Melvin into like this total star cornerback. Uh, all the way up until his senior season of high school, where he completely shatters his leg, and maybe that hurts recruitment prospects, but he ends up at Michigan State nonetheless. And at this point, all of the adults in Trey Wayne's life that are being interviewed for this Star Tribune story uh, are, are talking about his kind of lack of ego and, like, the humility that, that he uh, approaches all of this kind of, like, high school stardom with. I mean, he is a star player, and, and he doesn't really change in demeanor or anything, which is not something that you can always say. So his proud and, you know, perhaps overbearing parents send him off to college, and there he meets a guy by the name of Darquez Denard. Denard also plays corner, and, and so Michigan State, and especially, like, kids in Wisconsin, this there's a, a stigma that you need to know about when it comes to, you know, guys like Trey Waynes, who plays defensive back, coming from, you know, the, the bread basket of the Midwest. The Midwest is known for... for kicking out linemen. They make defensive linemen and offensive linemen, and, you know, kids from Wisconsin or even kids from Michigan State. I mean, Michigan State is where you get your defensive tackle from, not necessarily where you get your corner from, except now you've got Denard and Waynes, and and they start to change the reputation of Michigan State. And, you know, Michigan State has this unbelievable run of defense during uh, the time that, that Trey and Denard are there. 
but for as well as he plays, this is where some doubters start to creep in. And, and of course, that's going to happen when, you know, you're on a bigger stage, you're in the Big Ten, and you're playing a premier position like cornerback. There's a lot of people, I mean, he's six six foot, a buck 90. That's low for a cornerback. That's small for a cornerback. So, you know, somebody that, that plays press man like like Trey Waynes kind of specializes in, that's going to lead to some doubts. And, and I think he... He will always say like, oh, you know, you just got to tune out the hate. But we all know that you, you read it and it's going to affect you. And for Trey Waynes, that, that will do just as well as about anything as uh, bulletin board material. And so he plays better and better. And by the time he actually is able to declare for the draft, he's being looked at as a top 15 pick. And sure enough, the Vikings end up falling in love with him during that draft process. There was like meeting after meeting. And if you remember that draft process, I mean, by by the time everybody was turning in their final mock drafts, it was all but a lock that the Vikings were going with Trey Waynes and nobody in front of them really wanted Trey Waynes. Like they were just in love and and it was like a match made in heaven and Zimmer loved the kid and everything. Uh, And and his kind of like Midwest tour continued growing up in Wisconsin, going to school at Michigan State. And now here he is in Minnesota. And by the way, a year later, Denard ends up getting drafted by the Bengals in the second round, and uh, just in this last draft, two Michigan State defensive backs were drafted, and, and it appears to be kind of accelerating that group. So so you can say that Trey Waynes may have left a little bit of a mark in that way. So he ends up here in Minnesota, and this is the part of the story that you're probably a little bit more familiar with. You know, he struggled a lot his rookie year. If you remember his first game, first preseason game, he comes out and, and he has one drive, or I think it was like one quarter, where he he commits three egregious pass interference penalties. And the rules between college and the NFL are different. You can't be quite as grabby. The refs don't let you get away with an, as much. So it makes sense that he transitions. But from that moment is like this, it, it's in the Hall of Fame game. So there's kind of a, a, a small national audience. And, you know, that kind of hurts his his reputation. And, and that game ends up defining him for like two years when he is basically stuck on the bench and rotating his rookie year he doesn't play a lot largely because it's 2015 and if you remember 2015 the cornerbacks the two main cornerbacks were Xavier Rhodes and an ageless Terrence Newman who was playing at a Pro Bowl level. Trey Waynes couldn't crack that lineup very often, and so he ends up kind of sitting on the bench, and and you could call it like a pro redshirt year. And then 2016 goes by, and kind of again, Terrence Newman is like the main corner, and Trey Waynes is stuck on the bench again. And for Trey Waynes, that's like kind of a culture shock, right? Like it has to be. You know, he he's the superstar, three-sport total all-star at... Uh, at, at Bradford, and, and he's a star at Michigan State with him and Nard, and they're like this dynamic duo of cornerbacks, and then he gets to the pros, and he can't even get on the field. Like, that is a, a much different scenario, and, and with, like, first-round draft pick superstar types that have to, like, take a while to kind of acclimate to the NFL, like, that is kind of a, a coming-of-age moment that has to go down. So by 2017, he's ready to start, and uh, the Vikings need a nickel corner, and, and Terrence move in actually, uh, Newman moves in, in to play nickel corner, in tandem with with Mackenzie Alexander, and that's kind of how 2017 goes. And from there, Trey Waynes is pretty much the entrenched starter for as long as he can play. I I think maybe the highlight of of his NFL career so far is a a week two interception that sealed the, the first home game in U.S. Bank Stadium against the Packers. I think that's probably a moment that goes down in Vikings history that he gets to kind of call his own. And he still goes back to the Harborside Charter School and to Bradford High and talks to the kids and, and kind of has a, a presence in his own community uh, in, in addition to being a Viking. And that's kind of what he can do on his off, off time. 
And so now Trey Waynes is entering a, a very pivotal season. It's a contract year for him. He's playing on his fifth-year option, which means uh, that at the end of the year, he will be a free agent. And so he's either getting an extension or he's hitting the market. Um, and, and that kind of means that like this preseason doesn't mean a lot for him, but the first few weeks of the season really, really do. If he plays really well during the first part of the season, the Vikings will will feel... A, a very strong pressure to extend him. And that means that, you know, like a lot of starters and people in kind of nebulous situations or people in contract year situations, uh, you know, the, the preseason isn't where they prove themselves. So for now, we can kind of safely ignore Trey Waynes, hope he stays healthy and, and, and you know, keep our eye on other members of that cornerback room. Nobody's going to, like, start over Trey Waynes. Like, he'll he'll just kind of do his thing and be the second cornerback while Xavier Rhodes shadows everybody, all the superstars. But I would say by like week eight, by like the bye week on Thanksgiving and stuff, you know, take stock of where Trey Waynes is at, because if he hasn't gotten an extension, then it's going to be another Anthony Barr situation, and, and we kind of won't know what the Vikings think. And if he hasn't played up to, you know, the le- like a market value extension level, then, you know, that's kind of indicative of what's going to happen to him. So there's a lot riding on this season for Trey Wayne's. Probably a lot more riding on this season than in any other season past. You know, I mean, he had to play well in college to get drafted, and he had to play well in high school to get recruited. But but right now, I think he stands to lose with a with a bad 2019 season. Which who knows? But if he ha- if he does like regress and have a bad year in or a down year in 2019, he probably stands to lose more than he has ever stood to lose in his career. So it's definitely something to watch, but probably something to watch later. And on that note. I am going to sign off for this week of Locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for hanging out and, and listening to all of my, my blathering. As always, I'm on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. The show's on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. The show is on any podcast app you like, but if you check it out on Himalaya, it would just make me so happy. And if you don't like podcast apps, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for listening, and as always, Skull.